Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. On episode 6 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam and Scott discuss the plans about West Ham's claret pitch and naming the East Stand, talk possession football and the defensive midfield before previewing the Tottenham London Derby. Remember to keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, thanks for tuning in to the Green Street Hammers podcast. Uh, with you, as always, is myself, Adam, and my partner in crime, as usual, Scott. Scott, how are you doing this morning for you, afternoon for me? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, happy to well, be a day or two away from the end of the international break. I know. It, you know what? It'll fly by, and then all of a sudden we'll be in November, and we'll be back to doing this again. But uh, we've survived the international break number two of the season, which is good. Uh, and with that comes kind of a lull in news. There's been some transfer talk for West Ham. If you've been following our website, there's been some articles up regarding that. If they're a fit where we think they the legitimacy falls in those transfer deals. But uh, if not, go check those out. And other than that, there's been a little bit of news, uh, but but nothing really uh, nothing really podcast uh, dependent. Uh, I guess some news would be that Arnautovic scored in his match that he captained against Northern Ireland. He then laughed in Johnny Evans' face, held up the armband to his critics, and came back to West Ham without any further injuries. Uh, I'm happy to see that he he returned home without an injury. I think that's probably more important than him actually scoring that goal, don't you think? Yeah, um, I think he's a player that we really rely on. Uh, we don't have a secondary option that's similar to him, so... To see him come back and as you say no further injury like he's still managing this injury the sort of knee niggle that he's had for a bit um but i understand he wants to play competitive games for his country we we complain that certain players don't give it all for their country so we can't really have it both ways when a player wants to wants to do it and you can see how much it means to him and he got on the score sheet as well and then came back and as you say no further injury uh that's the main thing as a club supporter uh, all you want to do is have these two weeks and see fewer people come back with an injury than um than fearing as such uh and Arnautovic is our biggest player or potentially most central player so it's a case of if he gets an injury over the international break you feel like it's uh it's happened for no reason yeah, and with the international break coming to an end, we, there was a few pieces of news, I guess, that uh, we can get into uh, regarding injuries. Uh, and the first would be Robert Snodgrass. He was called up for the um, for the international break for Scotland. He stayed with them for the for the duration, but he's back at West Ham now. He didn't feature in any of their matches just because he uh, he picked up an ankle injury, which kept him out of gameplay. Um, as well, I'm looking here to see if uh, Arnautovic, uh, he, he didn't play in the Italy-Ukraine one. Let me just have a quick look here. He, sorry, did I say Arnautovic? I meant Yarmolenko. Uh, he did start in the match against 
Czech Republic, which was a 1-0 yep. win. Uh, he didn't get the goal or the assist, but he did start that match for them. Uh, and uh, he played the whole match, so that's that's good there. Um, actually, it's interesting with him away at Ukrainian training camp, uh, the links of West Ham needing a new left back, which, believe me, we will get into, um, are now sort of connecting West Ham with uh, Zinchenko, the young uh, Manchester City left back or left wing back, whatever you want to call him, because him and Yarmolenko are playing together at the international level. So there's a, a, an opening there, so we can we can get into that a little bit later. But he returned without any injuries, as far as I know. Uh, Lucas Fabianski got lit up by Portugal 3-2 in a loss uh, with Poland and Paraguay took Fabian Balbuena who did not play in any matches they didn't have any matches uh, but he was there for a two-week training camp and the final one is Arthur Mazuaku who picked up a slight ankle knock and he played almost the full match uh, for for the Democratic Republic of Congo before pulling out I believe the 83rd minute with an ankle injury he returned to West Ham a little bit early to get that work done uh, and is questionable, barring a late uh, fitness test for Saturday's match. And uh, outside of that, there's nothing really too crazy going on with the team news. Like I said, there's been some rumors, there's been some international injuries and whatnot, but everything looks to be pretty much the same. Um, as far as training ground goes, it appears that West Ham have Andy Carroll and Chicharito both back on the training ground and ready and possible, possibly both ready for selection ahead of the Tottenham match. Something I saw... Uh, Hammers chat on Twitter put out was the question: If both are available, but one spot one spot is on the bench, who do you have uh, ahead of the other on the bench? Uh, who, who would you take, Carroll or Chicharito? I think that's a tricky question. I think if they're both hundred percent fit, they're both sort of exactly the same sort of level already. Probably take Carroll. Uh, it's he's just that bit more of a different plan B. Um, I don't think we would necessarily have the game plan or be in a situation where bringing Chicharito on helps against Spurs. They're a side that, are, that we're not going to be dominating possession against for the most part. So we, that kind of uh, fox in the box isn't as useful as a target man. But like in this situation it's tough because I know Chicharito's been out for a while but he's just been ill rather than actually injured so I assume with the two week training under his uh, under his belt he will be sort of more sharp and ready to go than Carol uh, who has been injured for a bit and I probably would want to make sure he's 100% before I even thought about bringing him back in because the last thing we want is to sort of throw him on with 10 minutes to go and then five minutes later he's and his hamstring rolled his ankle or something like this because he's not ready for it. So yeah. uh, it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I mean, at 100%, I'm taking Carroll every day just because, like you said, um, the game gets simplified when he's on the pitch. He's the target man. He's the physical striker. Underrated with his feet, to be fair to him, um, just because he's so good with his head. Uh, but he is also kind of a liability. You know, you never know when he's going to swing an elbow, take, pick up an early yellow card, try and prove a point, pick up a second, a la Burnley yeah. last year, and your team's down. Um, but I think for the way it stands right now, I would take Chicharito on the bench uh, ahead of ahead of him. Uh, like you had mentioned, he's got a two two weeks of training under his belt, um, and he's probably mentally more hungry than Carroll is at this point. And I think Carroll could be could be mentally hungry for match time, but he also could be uh, feeling that way in like despite his physical limitations at the time. So. Um, you know, let's say the unthinkable happens and someone went down early. I'm not going to say names or something like that. Can Carroll give you 80 minutes plus of match time opposed to Chicharito? Yeah. Probably not. So I think that I would take him. But 
it's an interesting question, uh, and it sort of leads to our January transfer window talk, which will be coming in the in the in the weeks to come. Um, but what we will do now is we'll jump into some Twitter questions. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Green St Hammers. Uh, we are uh, asking every week for some questions, and we're picking up stuff along the way to sort of chat about on the podcast. The first one comes from the NoCo Irons at NoCo underscore Irons. What are your thoughts on the trim around the pitch being approved for a color change? Uh, and who would you like the East End to be named after, Billy Bonds or someone else? I will defer to you on both, but we'll, let's start with the pitch color. Uh, I know you covered this a little bit a little bit of time ago, but uh, what are your thoughts on the, the pitch finally getting approved to be changed? Well, I'm glad it's finally, if, I say, if it is going to be confirmed, if it is going to be put in, great. Uh, there always seems to be further litigation issues here at the club now. I mean... I said when we signed the contract, uh, it was too good in terms of the price that there was going to be hidden costs that we weren't going to be aware of. I was aware we weren't going to be able to sort of change too many too much stuff. And this is just one of them. I think um, the stadium was negotiated poorly from both ends in terms of sort of foresight. And this kind of change is just one of those sort of personalization feels uh, and on top of that, I think there was a safety issue. I think a few people sort of uh, didn't spot when the grass sort of turned into the the hoarding or the um, the the surrounding, and it that change of surface caused them to slip a few times. So having it a different colour makes sense. And I mean, the London Stadium had wanted it to be a like a bluish colour, which is uh, part of their sort of. Uh, their branding but then then we'd have looked like Spurs yeah and it's yeah you can't have your major you you have to be realistic you can't say turn around and go oh we want this color well the main client who you've said is the first choice for things throughout most of the year has a massive opposition to that it would have been different if they I, I don't know what color they could have if they'd said okay we're gonna turn it red maybe or then it's arsenal it's just a case of we're going to change your color uh let them have that color it's not really an issue the club were willing to pay for it so i'm glad it's finally done yeah i i can't help but disagree with you i i would i would be lying if i said i was an expert on any of this stuff and i know that you like i had said had written on it uh previously with the with the previous legal action but at this point in time west ham is literally laying their cards out on the table and i think karen brady actually i know i'm gonna bite my tongue here but she actually deserves a little bit of praise on this this is where she becomes uh she becomes actually instrumental to west ham she was brought in for the business part of it stay out of the papers stay out of the football discussions stick to uh the the actual business of west ham and trying trying to sort of make the club run as as good as they can and you can see there's nothing really for West Ham to hide when it comes to this there's nothing there's no embarrassing um you know skeletons in the closet she's basically saying hey give us the chance we'll buy the we'll buy the stadium we'll take full responsibility we've said that since day one we're still saying it now we have the money to do so let us buy the stadium until then we're gonna just basically uh nickel and dime you and take you to court over every little thing until eventually the, the company that does own it is gonna go under and then that's when we'll step in and own it. It could be a year. It could be January. It could be five years. Who knows? But it does seem like that's the inevitable path towards it. The second the second question is, who do you want the East Stand named after? After permission was granted to name the East Stand after a former West Ham player. Uh, on the polls that I've seen from uh, Hammers Polls, who are some, some great guys on Twitter there, 
Uh, it does seem like Billy Bonds is the early favorite. There's no, there's been no consideration for Bobby Moore, but I think that Bobby Moore sort of he's so instrumental in West Ham's history, but he also transcends West Ham to English football history, and he has the stadium outside of Wembley, I believe, or moved it was moved there. Uh, either way, uh, Billy Bond seems to be the one that everyone's happy with, and and I think that that's where my vote would go. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I. Uh... I mean, I, I have, we've still got a Bobby Moore end at the London Stadium, so it's a case of who's let, like, who after that. I think we've seen your, um, I say, uh, Billy Bonds is the runaway winner on a lot of polls that I've seen, but there are, of course, people like in that same era as Bobby Moore, the Jeff Hurst, Martin Peters. Uh, the case of um, Vic Watson, uh, former striker, if you go uh, back into the annals. Um, but I think people like uh, Billy Bonds need to be recognised because whilst there are people that maybe have scored more goals, who have uh, taken, uh, who have uh, potentially got more media coverage, I think Billy Bonds gave everything to this club and he's been a player, he's been a manager, he's got one promotion as both. Uh, I think he's taken us to cup finals. It's... He is instrumental in other parts of this club's history. I think uh, a lot of uh, fans that may be my age um, have seen, seen the last 30 years. We haven't seen too much in the way of success. And then we look all the way back to... Um, all the way back to 66 as, oh yeah, that's when we had that, that trio that won the World Cup as such. And... There we had a successful team then as well, but we did also have some cup success in the 80s. We um, we had some very good teams in the like, 70s as well, and I think it's it's worth recognising that such an instrumental player like Billy Bonds was there to really take us through it, and say he became manager afterwards. Uh, I don't think there's, well, I say we, I think we, we haven't got too many people that have done both. I think recognising him would be a great way to do that uh, with that stadium name change totally agree and it's a way to sort of i mean you leave behind 112 years of history at upton park and and you sort of you know you're not starting new but you're starting in a different spot uh and and getting the names like you said the bobby moore stand that already exists and if billy bonds gets selected for the second stand here the east stand uh then it sort of starts paving the way for those more recent players you know eventually mark noble will have his name mentioned there but you know the julian dixes maybe something with paulo de Canio, who was so instrumental in, in in west ham's more recent history um the names like that start popping up where different generations you start getting the gap bridge between the old school blue collar football fans and the new school uh more recent football fans so um, i don't think and Karen Brady also turned this down. There's going to be any Dimitri Payet statues soon, but uh, uh, Mark Noble may be the uh, the next one up after uh, we get through those recent retirees of football. But it's a, it's a good question, and I'm happy to see West Ham sort of digging in their heels a bit here and laying it out for their fans to see and for the people of London to see that basically uh, they're not going to roll over for this uh, this stadium ownership group anymore. Um, the second question we do have here comes from uh, Andrew Loden, EA, at ALOD34, A-L-O-W-D-34. Uh, and he says, and this links to actually a piece that uh, that I had published today, which is the 18th of October. Um, 
He says, I think Erickson is the guy to stop for Tottenham. Who is the best to contain him and how? With Deli Alley out, it means that Erickson becomes the linchpin in their attacking midfield. Um, first up, Scott, who do you think? Uh, who do you think West Ham can rely on to to shut down Erickson in that attacking midfield role? Well, I mean, Erickson again offers a different challenge to some, maybe some other players we've seen so far. I mean, if you take the last two big matches we played, they both had midfielders that have supposedly been uh, on decent form or the danger to us, so Hazard and Pogba. And then now Ericsson, they, they all play very different roles. Um, Hazard will be cutting in off the wing more like, more often than not. Um, Pogba doesn't necessarily stick to a position in a traditional sense. Um, he sort of tries to occupy space where he's needed. Ericsson is a more classic number 10. You may see him shift out to the wings once or twice to, to offer support there just to pick up the ball, put some cross in. Um, but that's more in order to create space in the middle rather than to actually affect the play too much out there and that can be quite tough because Ericsson is happy to go a long time without holding the ball for too long he doesn't mind sort of just getting the ball laying it back off uh, dragging people in and out of position but it has to rely we have to really rely on Rice again uh, he's the sort of the number six in our team he's the defensive anchor and if Rice is dragged out to deal with someone else um, we have to see Noble or Biang I assume are going to be the other two we have to see one of them dropping back onto Ericsson because that's how Ericsson really gets gets his goals gets his assists it's sort of playing anonymously until the point you forget about him and then his quality he really is uh, He's very technically astute, and I mean, he's been linked with some, not that Spurs aren't a big side, but some very big sides around Europe in the past. Um, so, yeah, I think he's a, a huge danger. I think Rice, Rice has shown he's capable of dealing with some Premier League quality attacking players, and I hope he's going to be good enough to do it again, because he's the player I would run. Yeah, to me it seems like it's Rice's job because, like you said, Erickson's going to be sort of hanging in that number 10 role. Um, and again, uh, the agreeing podcast continues. Like you said, he doesn't really hold on to the ball that much. He sort of gets it and moves. Um, the mo- Most recently I've seen him playing uh, and, and actually was cheering for, maybe not him, but his side was in the World Cup. I was really rooting for Denmark to, to push on for an, an upset uh an upset in their pool and they did move on which is great to see but Ericsson uh held on to the ball the ball more because he's got sort of the next tier ahead of anyone else on his team uh but he's gonna have Hyunmin son and lucas most likely flanking him uh, and harry kane up top so that's a pretty quick and deadly attack even with deli alley out um it does seem like dembele will be back as well but i think like you said rice has to be the guy um he's been so good shutting down the attack of other teams through the midfield uh, and I think if you keep the attack to the outside and can you know stick someone like Issa Diop on uh, Harry Kane, you're going to have just a physicality outmatch. Kane does well to find the ball often, but he's also um, he also tends to go to the ground a little bit easy. So kind of bully bully this team a little bit. I think that's going to be the success, and and that's sort of going to be what I highlighted in my match preview for this match is going to be you know this team's a little bit fragile. They're a little bit. Um, 
beat, uh, beaten up right now. So if you can pressure Erickson, get to him quickly because we all know he has a shot that that can really just change the game, um, especially from from distance. So if you're Rice, get to him, stick to him, and uh, bring a little bit of physicality. Don't be afraid to waste one on him early where you're actually able to sort of bang him up a little bit, have him second-guessing, not trying to intentionally hurt someone, but basically let them know that you're there and it's not going to be a cakewalk yeah. for you. Yeah, I think if you did, I don't know if you saw uh, the England versus Spain highlights, but uh, there was, uh, again, he's a Spurs player um, and therefore automatically he's down in my estimations. But uh, this, the strong thing I saw Eric, Eric Dyer doing was highlighting Ramos as someone that he wanted to get a tackle in on early. And he just, he pegged it about 25 yards and put in a very strong challenge on Ramos who was in his own area so literally no danger to anyone whatsoever but I'm a fan of if that's something you can get away with without getting a yellow card uh, just something just to let someone know that you're there let them know that that kind of thing isn't off the table for you it's it's a very a powerful message in terms of it doesn't necessarily mean you have to keep doing it it's just something in their head they're going they're just a little bit more panicked when the ball is coming to them. Um, not even in a sense that they haven't been out. They don't have to deal with it every week because most of these players do. But until they get that first big challenge, they're still going, ah, oh, I've done all right this game. No one's come near me. And yeah, that little confidence, not even taking it away, just sort of start putting a little cap on it and going, okay, stay there for a little bit. Don't grow into this game too much. And I think Rice has done that well so far. He's there putting some very physical challenges on physical players, but he's not a dirty player, and that's what I'm happy to see as well. And if, if Rice doesn't want to be the one to, to sort of waste a card or a foul on Christian Eriksen, Mark Noble will be more than happy to do so inside. Yeah, signed up, ready to go. <laughs> uh, so we'll move on to our last question that comes from Twitter here. It's from Andrew again, uh, and it says, why, do, why are West Ham so, with uh, six O's, bad, with uh, when we own possession, Slav, Moyes, uh, and even Pellegrini last week. Uh, if we have over sixty percent possession, we never seem to win. Um, what do you think it is with uh, with these possession heavy games for West Ham and why they can't convert those into results? I think the issue is is for the past few years we've been well for most of our history we go into most games as if not an underdog, sort of at least not seen as a big team um, or we don't see ourselves as a big team we don't see ourselves as the kind of team that dominates possession probes finds gaps and moves on we are more likely to be like, hit on the counter use set pieces um, find space as the other team push forward so we, we train for that we we set up in a way that is designed to hurt players uh, hurt teams by isolating space and I don't think we train too much for the occasions when we're going to be, say, 60% plus possession. Because we saw last week, we got some much better ball carriers than we have before. I mean, since Piat, uh, I mean, Lanzini is um, a great ball carrier as well. But since Piat, we haven't had someone who just looks like they're going to be dangerous when just sitting on the ball, just walking at a defender. Uh, Anderson, Yarmolenko, Arnautovic have the ability to create something from almost nothing. And the issue was is that we were kind of 
in uncharted territory against Brighton. That was the first game this year that we've really dominated but haven't created too many clear-cut chances. I know we had a couple where we probably should have scored. But the difference is when we're playing Man United, when we're playing Chelsea, they're going to push forward because they're going to go, we're going to play our way, you adapt to us. Brighton went, well, our way is going to be, give you, might allow you to have most of the ball. And we're, that's a very different situation. And I think we've, we've still got a, des- a team designed to hit on the break or with pace. Uh, Yarmolenko, Anderson, Arnautovic do have that pace, do have that creativity to suddenly put away a goal when the team were, the other team were attacking 30 seconds before. And I think we will hopefully see West Ham develop that. Pellegrini will uh, aim to move to a point where maybe it's only the top four or five teams that he's counter-attacking against. Um, and maybe in the current upcoming run, because after Spurs, I don't think we've got another, we face another top six side until Man City in the new year. Um, that's a big run. And I think we will see a different style emerging then, hopefully. Yeah, we, we do. Yeah, we play, we'll play Man City again in, in November. But like you had said, uh, it, it, it's a little bit more approachable for, for West Ham in the coming in the coming weeks. But yeah, it, it's something that I have to learn. Like you had said, they've been set up to they've been set up to basically um, counterattack, and you can't counterattack when you have the ball. And so essentially, what it boils down to is West Ham getting used to this play style of okay, we have the ball, let's work it around, let's let's switch play, let's look for these little uh, these little runs that are happening. Use our midfield for anything rather than just legs for the the the, uh, the opposing team to get over get through yeah it, it's just something that they have to learn and then like you had said i believe uh, i don't think west ham were setting up to have possession when they were under slavin village or uh david Moyes. so the fact that it happened probably caught them off guard a little bit uh to be completely fair but it's something uh, especially with uh with the highland pellegrinis introduced which has been rather successful um, it's something that West West Ham are trying to build off of possession. They're using tricks like that high line to basically step in and and turn over possession on you know non-threatening plays. So it's good to see, but but it's something that we'll need uh, a little bit of patience for it to uh, to come into play and come into uh, positively factor for West Ham in, in the future here. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, go I mean, ahead. There. Got, sorry, just uh, correcting my previous error. The, yeah, we've got three games. That three after this first game, we've got three games before the Man City game and then after Man City it's eight games in a row where we don't have a top six opposition so I mean that's hopefully that's where we see this change this where we will hopefully start to get 60% possession and winning games or and we we suddenly start looking comfortable probing or when the other team's on the back foot because as I, I can't defend the way we were against Brighton I think we were very slow so I would like to see that change going forward yeah and and, you know West Ham also they had 49% possession against Manchester United so they're not far off of at least splitting possession with those upper echelon teams Uh, they look good early on against Arsenal with possession they look good against Chelsea Um, and if you're going to concede possession uh, do it in the smart areas keep them to the outside so uh, for for now we'll 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 put a cap on the Twitter questions here when we come back we're going to do we're going to play a little bit of uh, audio from Jeremiah our one Green Street Hammers contributor Uh, he's got a couple questions and theories about a West Ham player in position and that'll lead right into our Spurs match preview keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast
All right, well, thanks for having me on, Adam. I hope you're doing well. hope the rest of you boys are doing well. And man, I'm glad to be back from this international break. And yes, technically I'm not back. You know, um, thank you for getting me in here on a recording to kind of uh, have a point and a question for you guys. But uh, my big point, and I've had a lot of time to think about this over the uh, international break, is what is the status of our left back? I think that's a burning question a lot of us have had, especially after the awful awful performance that he put in against Brighton in no disrespect to him you know he does it way better than I ever will but I think that it's time for Arthur Masawaku to maybe take some time off from left back and whether that's you know backing up Anderson on the wing or being a backup left center and I don't know much about the left center thing I've googled it saw that he kind of played there maybe started there back in his days and and I'll be honest with you I didn't know anything about Arthur Masawaku until we signed him a couple of years ago, but I think that it's time for me, honestly and personally, is done at West Ham at left back. And who do we put in? Where do we put him? I think that he deserves a side on the bench. He's had enough good times out there and enough good performances over the past couple of years, and he, he shows enough pace that he'd be somebody good to bring on towards the end of the match when someone's tired. He'd be able to run up on you, but recently he's kind of lost that, I think, and that's his game, and they figured that out, and he just constantly gets attacked and attacked and attacked the entire match to where, yes, anybody's going to make a mistake. So I think having him out has to be key. Another thing to kind of point is then, obviously, who do we fill in for him? I think the obvious one is uh, is Cresswell. I think that bringing in Cress, bringing him back, you know, and whether that's because of a lack of heart, maybe that's why he hasn't been playing so well, or it was injury, you know, could be a lack of touches in practice and training too because, as you all know, you know, if you're not the starter, you're not going to get as much practice when you're in training uh, you will but it's not going to be focused as much on you so maybe that's it maybe getting him the ball more in training maybe just getting his heart back into it you know every once in a while we just need to change up a change of pace a change of heart and maybe that's exactly what he needs but for me it's got to be done with uh, Masawaku at left back I think that his time has come and I think that it's time to move on from him and additionally with that I think that we really just need to look at who it's going to be so I'm curious of what your guys thoughts are I'm curious if you like the Cress idea, if you have another thought idea. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on real quick is I don't like five at the back. So I would love to have a nice little debate about that with you guys. I think that we have too many good guys on the side right now up front um, playing in that front three or playing in that middle middle to drop somebody just so Arthur can be in there as a left wing back. He's a great left wing back, but I don't think that's exactly what we need anymore. So anyway, I'm curious about... What you guys think about Cress? I'm curious about what you guys think about moving Arthur around. And I guess I'm curious about if you want to do five at a side or if anything like that. So anyway, guys, uh, I'm glad I could be on. Hope you all have a good, fun rest of the show. and hope I can get on here with you next week. And hopefully we can come out and we can beat around these hated Spurs this weekend. Because, man, I love this match. But anyway, come on, you Irons, and you all have a good rest of the day. All right, so you just heard there again from Jeremiah Carson. He is a contributor here at Green Street Hammers, and he had some interesting questions, and I think he, he sort of summed up where a lot of West Ham fans are at right now with the left-back situation and Arthur Mazuaku. So uh, as it stands, uh, he is due for a late medical exam after picking up an ankle injury with the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, if he's not fit to go, it'll most likely be uh, Aaron Cresswell that comes in at left back. Uh, he has not looked good this season, albeit in his last match against Macclesfield Town. He chipped in 
uh, with a really nice uh, short cross to Lucas Perez or Perez, who who hit the volley and, and scored his first goal in a West Ham uniform. So I guess maybe he has a little bit of momentum there. Uh, he's also probably, and it's not even, I don't think it's even outrageous or outlandish to think this, but he's probably actually been a little bit excited by the return of Andy Carroll. Uh, him and Noble, uh, Cresswell Noble and, and, uh, and Carroll are, are actually three good good friends, it does seem, on and off the pitch. So having more friendly faces back and, and something that reminds you of, uh, hey, I, I can play this game. I remember the form I used to be in. It's probably a welcome uh, a welcome change of pace. But, uh, Scott, what, what are your thoughts on Arthur Mazuaku? Is your, is your leash as short as Jeremiah's is for him at left back? Uh, I don't think I'm potentially completely done with him. I think he's still got things to offer the club. Uh, I do think we've highlighted the fact that he just isn't good enough defensively or he isn't able to manage both the defensive side of the left back and the attacking side. I think uh, Jeremiah's right. When we played five at the back, he was very good at wing back. He really was because he kind of had to defend a bit and then his his main job was getting out and getting down that wing to offer us width. But... I would be careful in saying that we're completely done with him. However, I would like to see the club sign a left-back in January, someone that's actually going to... Someone who's going to be as consistent down that side as Zabaleta. Uh, I don't even necessarily want him to be as amazing going forward as uh, some of the other top left-backs in the league, but we need someone who's going to be defensively solid because without that we're just going to see a lot of a lot of play down the opposition's right hand side uh, I think Masaraka is still in sort of like the top 10 or something for uh, tackles in the league and I don't think that's necessarily because he's made a, such a high percentage of them it's because we've seen teams really focus on that area as somewhere where they can get crosses in somewhere where they if they give the ball up then they will get some joy from it and We've had to see Anderson tackling back. I mean, Anderson's made more tackles than Masawaku this this season. Um, and I don't really want my winger's first job to always have to be, oh, I've got to make sure I get back first. Uh, because we didn't buy Anderson for that. We bought him to be a danger at the other end. And whilst I do want my wingers to track back and help out, that shouldn't be a case of necessity every single time. I shouldn't be going, oh, Anderson isn't back yet. I'm worried about this. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I think actually you brought up a good point there with volume over quality as far as tackles go for him. Uh, he's getting attacked a lot. Ergo, he's getting a lot of chances to make tackles. Um, so stats always have uh, two sides to them. Uh, but yeah, I think we saw actually he, he performed well against Chelsea, which is something a lot of people are looking past. And Chelsea's been a team that have only dropped points in two matches against us and against Liverpool, both draws. Uh, and we kept a clean sheet in that match. And that's important because he was stacked up against uh, Willian to start, and then they switched sides with Willian and Eden Hazard. Uh, So that's really strong competition. Uh, And with both of them, they're probably not going to be whipping in too many crosses. They're probably going to be trying to dribble you or um, sneak by you. So you see a team that plays long balls or balls over the top or looping crosses like Brighton, and they have success against Mazuaku. You see more skilled teams with forwards like Chelsea, who don't have as much success because they're kind of taking them on one-on-one rather than um, 
sort of embarrassing him with his ability to stop crosses or to, to stop the ball from moving through the air. So he could be a situational player, but uh, I'm not completely done with him, but my, my leash is certainly short. And I do think Cresswell, uh, as bad as he was when he played earlier for, for West Ham this season, um, Mazuaku has played himself out of a starting job more than Cresswell's played himself into one. Uh, and you're not going to get better results out of Mazuaku by continuing to reward him with poor for poor performances with starting uh, minutes. So try and light a fire under him. I don't think Angelo Ogbonna is the uh, is the the uh, resolution to the left back problem. Uh, the West Ham Way podcast talked about that a few weeks ago. He'd played back in uh, Juventus in his Italian days at left back at times. Uh, I just think he's a little bit too advanced in age now. I wouldn't. He does actually get up the field rather quickly, which is cool to see. He's got long strides, um, but I would rather have him on the bench and ready to go should there be an issue with any of our center backs. But uh, yeah, Mazuaku, I, I just, I, I think he needs. He's one of those players who needs man management, and as much as he needs an arm around him, sometimes he also needs a kick in the ass the other times. And having his minutes taken away from him could be what uh, what instigates that change. And any final thoughts on on Jeremiah's questions there regarding left back, Scott? Uh, no, I say I think uh, I think I would always have sort of soft spot for Aaron Cresswell because it's the way he played when he sort of first came up from Ipswich and uh, the seasons that he formed extremely well. Uh, I'd love to see him return to that kind of form. Um, like if if this was it if he came in against Spurs and he suddenly looked like he was committed to all the challenges he was going forward putting dangerous crosses in I'd be all for putting him back in the, the first level because I, mean, I like the back four I don't think Pellegrini wants to go to a back five I think it's something no. that he's just sort of uh, systematically opposed to um, I don't mind it at times, but I, I understand what Pellegrini is coming in to do now is go, we're going to play this way 99% of the time. And that's a back four. He wants that, and so far it's not done badly. I mean, we, we played a back four against two of the biggest sides in the league. I know Man United have been struggling, but we played that way and we got a result against uh, Chelsea and United. So I don't see a reason to be changing it. I don't think we'll be seeing five at the back for it at all anytime soon the only resolution i could see would be three at the back and sort of abandon the wing backs entirely bring on uh maybe sacrifice zabaleta which is which is why i don't think it'll happen because he's been great for west ham but sacrifice zabaleta for snodgrass in the right midfield spot move mazuaku up to a left midfield spot have your front three and have your midfield three and basically rely on three center backs uh Ogbonna would probably do better in that, but it would be more attacking, which I think would be more Pellegrini's style, but I don't think it's anything we'll see in the near future. No, it sounds uh, potentially, well, it depends who you're playing, but I mean, there was a lot of Premier League sides who have very strong uh, wide areas, and I think we'd see that kind of formation could be exposed if our centre-backs have to move across continuously. Hunman Son and Lucas would be two forwards who would expose a, a three centre-back, no, no full-back or wing-back formation i think pretty easily uh which actually leads pretty well into our uh our tottenham match preview once again thank you jeremiah we're sorry we couldn't uh, have you on the podcast with us sometimes real life gets in the way uh but we're happy you sent that in and we're looking forward to getting you back on here soon uh but we'll we'll go into our tottenham match preview uh it looks like let me just have a quick look at uh, at the tottenham team here uh it does look like uh west ham will be uh facing off against harry kane he's in fine form right now he played 
for England over the international break, and he put up two assists in their three-two win in the nation in league in Nations League. Sorry, I want to say League of Nations every time I think of that league. Um, in Nations League, he put up two assists in their three-two win over Spain. Uh, and it seems like Hyunmin's son and Lucas uh, will be on the sides of him with Ericsson in behind. Most likely Moussa Dembele, who's returned from injury, and Eric Dyer, who was at uh, England's international games as well, will be there. Uh, Toby Alderweireld is out. Uh, sorry, is in. Uh, Jan Vertonghen is out. Danny Rose is out. So we'll probably see uh, Davies at left back and Kieran Trippier at right back. And Hugo Lloris in net. Lloris does not scare me anymore, especially if we have the kryptonite Pedro Obiang in the side. Uh, any chance for another Thunderbolt from Obiang uh, when it comes to Tottenham West Ham? I mean, I think that that goal was one, uh, like a career sort of a <laughs> career highlight. I mean, we've seen him, we've seen him sort of take take aim from long range before, and I will always encourage my midfielders to take long range shots. I, I, it's one of the my bugbears with Anderson so far is that the difference between him and Yarmolenko is Anderson is a uh, it seems to look to try and create more for other players than he does himself Yarmolenko is very much I'm going to be a danger you're going to have to deal with it and that's why I think we've seen a lot of fan love for Yarmolenko um, because <laughs> he is that immediate danger Oh yeah, he is that someone who's going to go again you know what I'm going to do I'm going to cut in and I'm going to take a shot now stop me uh, and I do love that attitude, and I'd love to see Anderson just occasionally do that because he's got a great pass on him. He's very selfless uh, when he has the ball. We've seen him; uh, he's, a, he's in the top ten of chances created for the for the league, and he is a very willing runner in that kind of regard as well. Uh, uh, yeah, I think we could see. Um, so far, Spurs have been. Like, uh, I think Martin Noble took a lot of uh, stick from uh, Spurs fans online for um, saying <laughs> that uh, Love Spurs and West Ham had had a similar start to the season. And um, I think he just meant disappointing, like you had aimed higher. That's probably uh, all he no, was I saying. Think, yeah, I think uh, no, I, th- I think he, he was just say it's he said something and it's been latched onto. Um, but he's right in the regard that. Spurs, if you had watched their matches and the goals had been sort of raised, you'd have watched England. They haven't been very great. They haven't really excelled. They looked very patchy at points, but they've done well to get the wins they have because, I mean, we always say that's how good teams work. They get um, they get wins when they're not playing well, but they haven't played well. Uh, they've been... Uh, Harry Kane is at points looked very tired. Uh uh, Lloris has been in outside because of his drink driving issue um, their midfield has been sort of hampered by uh, Son going off to the uh, Asian games and uh, uh, Lucas Moura um, has been uh, at times he was one of their players that they were relying on They've got, they do have a, a wealth of just talent in their team and they will be dangerous, but are they playing their best football? No. And do I think they're more dangerous than Chelsea? No, I don't. I I don't think they are at all. I think they made a huge error by not strengthening in the transfer window. Uh, it just brings in players. It freshens up. It brings new perspectives. Competition. Forces people to fight. Yeah. Um, and Harry Kane, despite his protestations that he's not 
tired, that he's still going. I, he doesn't look quite the same player that he did last season. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm now expecting him to turn around and look like uh, prime Pele and bang, like bang a hat trick in because I've said it. But he's he doesn't look as dangerous as he did before. And I think we're heading into this game going, we've potentially shown better performances all around as a team than the Spurs team have. The Spurs team have got a wonderful team of individuals. And we're yet to really see them gel in the Premier League so far this season. And yeah, I think we've got a decent chance. Yeah, and I think Harry Kane's actually a good player to, to highlight because if you can unsettle him or get him off his game, they don't have any striker options outside of they shifted Lucas Moura there in their in their uh, Carabao Cup match against Watford where they were taken to penalties, uh, but they they don't have the options of uh, you know a Chicharito off the bench or uh, an Andy Carroll off the bench or Lucas Perez off the bench Perez. Uh, so if you can unsettle Kane and get him sort of thinking he's he's you know getting knocked around a bit or he's not getting the chances, and I think if you cut off his supply through Erickson, uh, you're going to see him getting frustrated. Uh, but that, that's, again, it's a good place to start for West Ham. Target the big man and, and sort of uh, try and knock him off his game because there's there's no backup there. I mean, Lorente has proven that he's really reliant on whoever gets him the ball just by using his size. Uh, that was uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson at Swansea. He's failed to do really anything of note at Tottenham, so... Um, I would take Andy Carroll over for, for uh, Lorente, Fernando Lorente, any day uh, at striker. So, uh, it, yeah, it's it's interesting to see the the lack of depth and at center back as well. They brought in Davidson Sanchez last year, didn't play him enough or at all really, but it's worked out well because he's now stepped into the team and he's actually a really highly rated player at center back, which is good for them, bad for us. Uh, but again, there's there's been there was no supplemental people being brought in to ignite a little bit more competition like you had said yeah uh, I mean depending on which uh, how they're going to set up against this I think the the, the area that I'm worried, most worried about again because of the player we had down that side is their right hand side they're going to most likely have uh, Lucas Moura uh, in front of Kieran Trippier and both those players or Lucas Moura is rapid. Um, I don't think we're. Uh, he, I mean, there was a horrendous challenge against him. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Cardiff because I remember Neil Warnock shouting on the sideline when he knocked it around the player and was gone. And the player just went, "No, I'm not having this," and just slide tackled Moura despite the fact the ball was about like five meters away from them both. Um, and he does have that pace. To, constantly challenge your left back and Trippier is the sort of the counterfoil to that he's not going to always go past you but he's very happy to put a cross in from deep and I having conceded so many crosses against big teams we're going to have that issue because Harry Kane is a very clever striker he's very good in the air and Trippier will just look to swing that ball in him the same way that we used to do when the ball was rolled back to Cresswell, and Cresswell would look for Cal. It's a potent combination. It's very hard to defend against it, both uh, against the player that's going to go past you, but also defend against that, roll the ball back, and stop the cross. Because 
you're most focused on the guy that's going to present a immediate danger to you, and that's more. Uh, but Trippier is quality and delivering those crosses in. So, yeah, I think we may have an issue down that side. Uh, we will need Anderson to track back for this game. Uh, and not just track back, but be, be a danger attacking. Uh, the article I put out yesterday said that it needs to be... Uh, Anderson needs to make himself enough of a danger that Trippier is worried about attacking. Because we know Anderson's fast, um, but what we really need him to do is make Trippier think, I can't commit to getting, like, to getting the attacking side of Anderson unless I'm definitely going to get the ball. Because as soon as, if West Ham intercept this pass, if West Ham break, and Anderson's the other side of me, well, he's not catching Anderson. No. So uh, he just needs to play on play on Trippier's mind and really act as that sort of uh, double-edged sword that he needs to make Trippier think that he's not getting the ball when he's going forward, and that if he does get forward, he's now exposing his own defence. And without that, I think we're really going to struggle because I can't see us necessarily keeping a clean sheet because I think I do think Kane's a good striker. I think they've got enough players to hurt us uh, in the middle. And we're still still working out this defensive shape. And hopefully, again, we kept a clean sheet against Chelsea, so why not Spurs? But if we're looking to take the game to Spurs a bit more than we did against Chelsea, maybe, we're going to struggle to... We're going to struggle to keep it completely locked up. Yeah, and, and I think you bring you bring up a good point with them attacking down the wings, and West Ham are, are weak at, at left back, which is, uh, as you had said, an area for Trippier and, and Mora to to attack. Um, there's two sort of resolutions as far as I see for this issue. Number one is shift your midfield three from being one holding midfielder and two central midfielders to two holding midfielders and one central midfielder. Uh, I think leave Noble up top to sort of run in and out of the attack, but uh, have Obiang and, and Rice have a little added responsibility of bringing pressure to the wide ball. Uh, so if, if Trippier is holding onto the ball, looking for a way to work it through, if he has Rice closing him down, he's going to either be forced into an error or make an ill-advised cross every now and then. So a little extra back pressure to relieve Felipe Anderson from having to come all the way back to West Ham's own penalty box will be, uh, will be an added bonus. But the second and maybe more realistic approach would be hold the ball. If West Ham has the ball, it doesn't matter how fast Lucas Moore is. He's not going to be able – he's not a physical guy. He's not going to take it off of Yarmolenko or Arnautovic or even Noble in the midfield. Uh, And Noble will for sure be up for this match. Same with Pedro Obiang. He's already been talking about uh, how excited he is and how excited he was when he scored that that goal last season. So um, hold the ball. West Ham are trying to be a possession team, as we had mentioned in the previous segment so why not try and hold on to the ball and you know frustrate their team with lack of possession it'll be difficult but what uh, what is promising is that Tottenham posted a picture saying actually just now these two are in contention for the weekend and it was Moussa Dembele and it was Christian Eriksen if one of them isn't going to make it most likely that means that Harry Winks is into the team um, Winks, I believe, is the most overrated player in the Premier League uh, and overrated player in international football. I don't know what he's done to deserve call-ups over other players, specifically players like John Joe Shelby, players who are actually playing in the Premier League and getting results and having good uh, performances week after week. Harry Winks just is, goes from injured at Tottenham to 
into the squad at the England level. I don't know what it is. If anything, it proves that there's some sort of backdoor deal with Gareth Southgate and the Tottenham team. But uh, Harry Winks, if he gets into the team, is a spot that West Ham can't expose. And I think he's also a player that you can have someone like Arnautovic bully, especially when he tends to track back as far as he does and pick up the ball in the midfield. Uh, I don't know who would take Winks over Arnautovic in a physical battle, but uh, that seems like a father versus son sort of battle more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I'm always willing to be proved wrong. I'm always very happy for someone to come along and say, this player has done this, this is why he's good. Um, I don't... Harry Winks hasn't shown for me that he is top quality. I, I think he's got... He's decent on the ball. Cut player. Um, but then there are there are lots of players in the Premier League that are good on the ball if you give them time. It, uh, that's kind of like a prerequisite for making it at the top of the game. Um, but yeah, I think for me, if you're really looking at what Harry Winks making the England side uh, says to me, it says to me that Declan Rice has a reason to be picking England. Uh, why on earth would uh, he not be looking at going, if that's the side they're picking, I could get in the England side. Yeah, even Eric Dyer. Jeez, Rice is like the younger, better version of Dyer. Yeah, again, I'm. <laughs> I think I think Dyer's a nice enough uh, player on the ball. He seems it's okay, but he's slow. Uh, he doesn't uh, doesn't always read the game particularly well. Um, I think a lot of the time at Spurs, he's protected and sort of instructed by some um, much more experienced players around him. Uh, again. If people want to tell me I'm being harsh, if people want to come and show me something, great. Um, but I would take Declan Rice over Eric Dyer. I think he has that uh, has far more potential going forward, that's for sure. And I think he's on a par with him now, if not, if if not a more complete player. Are there any final thoughts for our West Ham uh, West Ham Spurs match preview and uh, any closing thoughts for this our sixth and strong episode of the Green Street Hammers podcast? Well, yeah, I mean it's a Spurs game. Uh, I think if any uh, if any West Ham players need uh, any motivation, um, then they're not they haven't really understood the club. Um, Spurs will tell us it's our cup final um, and they don't really care, but. God, they seem to really, really care whenever they win it, or um, or whenever a decision goes their way, uh, doesn't go their way, and it they're they're all over social media. So I uh, don't I think you've got to make this game is it shouldn't need any ging up. The crowd will be up for it. The stadium will be buzzing, and every challenge is a signal. Uh, there should be no half-heartedness. Everything should be done with commitment everyone should be on it and giving everything simple as yeah can't can't disagree with you there uh it's a like you said it's a london derby it's uh it's an exciting match and it's an opportunity for west ham to sort of put their flag back in the ground and say no no that was the the outlier was the brighton game that's not the standard uh and it's a chance for a player like aaron cresswell i think to sort of reestablish himself as a premier league quality player don't be noisy. Don't be. Uh, don't have your name on the lips of the announcers. Often, take the opportunity. Play. Play compact. Play smart. Uh, play a quiet game. And uh, if he does, if he does anything, but give up a massive goal, I think he's going to be challenging Mazuaku for a, a start in the next match. 
Uh, but yes. uh, no crystal ball this episode. We won't look to the future just yet. <laughs> uh, please do follow us on Twitter at Green ST Hammers, Green Street Hammers. Yes, the verified blue check mark is real. Uh, and until next week, come on, you wires, and we'll talk to you guys then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.